Blog Talk Radio. Chatting with Sherry. Today we welcome author and actor Herbie J. Pilato. He's an expert on Bewitch and he just did a new book on Mary Tyler Moore, two of my favorite people in the world. We have a really fun chat. Here's Herbie J. Hi Herbie, welcome to the show. Sherry, thank you so much for having me. Delighted. Happy holidays to you and all. Yep, happy holiday to you too. Out holidays because we have <laughs> several coming up. Um, it's such a strange year, but like the fastest year ever on record because it was so chaotic. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like you know high school, right? It was it was four years, but you look back and then it's like, wait, what? Four years. So it, it's kind of like that, you know, you just, where did it go, and what really happened, and everything's a blur, and just just crazy. Yeah, it sort of felt like four years instead of one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, was a, it was a really weird year. The only good thing was the Dodgers one. Aha. As, as opposed to the Chryslers? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I did other crisis. It was kind of a baseball team. Um. <laughs> That's how much I know about. Actually, I used to play as a kid. I used to play uh, in in the street of the inner city where we'd have uh, oh a two by four for first base and a rock for a baseball. So I grew up in a tough neighborhood. That's how the Dodgers got their name, because they were the Brooklyn Dodgers, and they played in the street, and they dodged the carts and the the carriages and all the stuff. That's why they were called the Dodgers. Well, you see, I guess I, knew, I know more about baseball than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I, and then um, I was talking, interviewing someone else who um, isn't a baseball fan either, but uh, he grew up in St. Augustine, and he found out that they started there, and they were called the bridegrooms. Hmm. Well, they didn't—they didn't start there. They—they they did their uh, summer training in Florida, and then they came back to New York. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, they were called the bridegrooms. No idea why. <laughs> strange. I'm sure somebody out there who's listening knows, but... Hmm. I know, isn't that weird? I was like, really? And he sent me a picture, and it was like, aww. You know, the old-fashioned uniforms from way back when, and it's really cute. <laughs> but that was my only bit of joy. I mean, I'm, I'm not, we're not going to go into politics, so we're not, I'm not going to talk about that at all. But... Um, but I, I was, like, so happy because they've been to the World Series four times and they finally won. So that, that was the only thing that I was happy. 
Well, you know what? It's the simple treasures of life. I know. That's what I've learned over these years now that I'm 25 going on 30. <laughs> it's, no, I've always appreciated the, the simple treasures. It's because of my humble upbringing, I, I guess, you know, and I've always appreciated every accomplishment I've had. And um, I had wonderful parents and I uh, had a great childhood. And so I just, you know, I, I work very hard at um, being present in the moment and really just embracing every experience, you know, to, for the highest good of all concerned. Speaking of childhood, yes. you are an expert in my favorite show as a little girl, Aww. Bewitched. Mm. Yeah, Bewitched, man, I tell you, I just loved it. Me too. Uh, I loved it. What did you love about it, Sherry? Oh, I moved around a lot, so I was the new kid a lot. So I just, the magic of it, that you could, like, just wiggle your nose, um, Tabitha style, because I was little, um, and go wherever you want, and you could travel anywhere you want, and wear any clothes you want, and all that and I just well I also love the characters actually I think my first exposure to Shakespeare was from Maurice Evans as uh, Maurice because I had I was just hypnotized every time he was on the program he just oh, th well that's you know and it's so weird because you know the, the British or the English pronunciation of Maurice is Morris you know, so his name was really Morris Evans, and it was always so funny because on the show, when someone would not pronounce his name correctly as Maurice, he would cringe and go, it's not Morris, it's Maurice, <laughs> when in fact Morris was how you said it in real life. <laughs> That's cute, I love yeah. it. Was he, uh, did, I don't know if you know, but was he as sweet as he seemed to be? Oh, he was, uh, I did not know him. So Agnes Moorhead and, and Morris Evans were really two of the people associated with the show that I really didn't get a chance to speak with, unfortunately. Oh. Um, nor, or Paul Lynn. Oh, you didn't meet Paul Lynn? Um, Morris was, uh, yeah, Paul Lynn played Uncle Arthur. Yeah. But Morris was, just, you know, he was adored by Elizabeth. Adored him, Elizabeth, uh, and Elizabeth adored, you know, even though they, they kind of buttered heads at times, they she loved all of she loved everybody. Elizabeth, she was that type of person. They said that um, in one of the interviews that um, Paul Lynn and her just got on like two flames right away when he played the other part of the uh, driving instructor, and she was really yes, the one who got her. That was the first yeah, that was the first episode he did, and he wasn't a warlock, or he wasn't her uncle. It was just a guest spot, and, and he played a, a mortal driving instructor who was teaching Samantha how to drive. He didn't know she was a witch. But what would happen on the show is Bill Asher, who was married to Elizabeth and who directed or produced the show, if he liked an actor, he would use him again. So they, he and, and Paul Lind and Elizabeth got along so well, and their chemistry was so great that they had to have him come back in some regular capacity, which um, 
he did, obviously, with Uncle Arthur. And then it happened with Alice Ghostly, who started out really as one guest spot um, as, the Larry, as Larry Tate's maid, and Bill Asher and Elizabeth loved her. And Alice Ghostly and Paul Lind had known each other. As a matter of fact, many people thought they were brother and sister because they looked and sounded so much alike. Oh, I, I uh, didn't even think that. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, so Paul made an impression, Morris made an impression, and Bewitched had the largest regular, semi-regular cast in TV history. I mean, and they were top-notch talent. Yeah. And the show was very well done. Very well done. And certainly in the first five years. I I loved it. Uh, it oh, uh, the other person that I know had a different part was Bernard Fox. He played oh, a, a warlock hunter who was mortal and didn't know what he was doing, and he had a ring that made uh, uh, Samantha and Endor disappear. <laughs> yep, absolutely, absolutely. He played a witch doctor, right? Uh, or excuse me, a uh, witch hunter. Yeah. As you said, and then they loved him, and then. And Dr. Bombay in a regular you know and the thing is these people make a lot of appearances Paul only did seven or eight episodes but he thinks he was on like all the time but he made only like seven or eight appearances and everybody thinks he made a lot more but that was just a testament to his talent really you know that his, his impression was oh wasn't he on all the time because he was just so likable in that role. He was likable in whatever he did, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, and it just it was magical. No other word. Yeah. Um, I I don't know if you know about the Hollywood Collectible Show. I used to go to that regularly. Mm -hmm. I met Casey, who played Louise. I met Bernard Fox. I met Aaron Murphy, and there's one more. Oh, Bernie Capel. I met those four. Yeah, oh, yeah, Bernie's great. Yeah, no, I do, I do this when they, you know, when they were live and when everybody was doing them, I would do do those shows all the time. I'd sign my books at the Hollywood Collective Shows. Really wonderful uh, arenas for the fans of TV shows and movies to, to meet, you know, uh, the stars of those shows. So. And you can have a real, because when you meet them at a convention, basically, you're like cattle, and there's thousands of people, and they basically push you through, and you basically say, hi, I really like your work, and that's about it, and then they sign. But when you're at the collectible show, you can actually have a conversation with these people. Yeah, <laughs> it's nice. And, and I think, too, when, when uh, the pandemic ends soon, hopefully, those, they will come back. And because people are, I mean, they do it online, which is nice. You know, you can talk to your, your favorite via Zoom or whatever. But it's not, obviously, it's not the same. No, no. It's just like, I went to um, Comic-Con online. It just isn't, I mean, big deal. It's like, <laughs> it's like yeah. going to a seminar. <laughs> yeah. It's not the yeah. same. <laughs> mm -mm. No way, no way. Because if you're a fan, you want to see them. I mean, you you just want to be in the same room. You right. you, don't, you don't even I don't even have I, all I want is to get an autograph and to watch them and to take pictures. It's not like I'm going to do anything other than that. But it's just it makes you feel like more part of it than doing it like well whatever. The, I wasn't Zoom. I don't even remember how they did it. It was something that went right into Facebook. I guess it was Facebook Live. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was it's it, you got it's it's really kind of an amazing thing, and the and the actors and the actresses, the stars, celebrities, whatever, they're very open to it, you know, because a lot of them have have not uh, been doing any movies or, or TV shows lately, and the luster of the of their stardom has you know uh, mellowed a little bit, and so they appreciate when. Um, you know, a fan remembers something that they've done, and and or recognize something that they've done that has not been seen or recognized in years. You know, the, the newer stars, you know, they're they're too successful <laughs> um, to to appreciate every every little fan that comes up to them. But not not those. It's um, at the collector shows, and yet at the same time, sometimes a big celebrity will come to a collector. Yeah, yeah. So, I met like, Tony like, Curtis about uh, about six months before he passed away. He came to wow. the collectible show. I was so happy that I I went there because, and he was so nice. Wow. So was that, there had to be a line for him, right? There was, but I walked away and came back, and he was all by himself. I talked to him for about twenty minutes. Oh, fantastic! Terrific! Terrific! He was that's really my, that's sweet. That's my new word is terrific because that's what Elizabeth would say all the time. <laughs> she loves she loves saying terrific as Samantha and she said it in real life. So I try to say terrific. I love the way she said it. I love the way yeah. she said that. And what was the other word she said better than anybody else? Well, that yeah. <laughs> well, actually, and she kind of uh, borrowed it kind of sort of from Lucy because Lucy would do that too on I Love Lucy. And both I Love Lucy and Bewitched were uh, directed by Bill Asher. Yep. Yeah. Um, we're we're going to talk about your new book, which is about another icon and favorite of mine growing up. I was um, as a teenager then, um, the Mary Tyler Moore Show. Now, how did that come about? Where where did that come about? Well, I wanted to, I did switch, I did, you know, a couple of books on Bewitched, and then I did two biographies on Elizabeth, Twitch Upon a Star, The Bewitched Life and Career of Elizabeth Montgomery, and then The Essential Elizabeth Montgomery, A Guide to Her Magical Performances, which is more of an encyclopedia of her work. And so I wanted to continue that series of 60s female stars who felt stereotyped by the roles that made them famous. And so the next follow-up would have, you know, logical for me would have been Mary Tyler Moore. First of all, I love the Big Van Dyke show, and I love the Mary Tyler Moore show. Not as much as I love Bewitched, but I loved all of those shows. So Mary was just always adorable, and, you know, she tried to... Well, there were so many similarities, really, between she and Elizabeth. Both had demanding fathers, um, both... Um, you know, had fathers who did not want them to be stars or, or go into the industry. Uh, Elizabeth's father was a movie star, mm -hmm. Robert Montgomery. Robert yep. um, but Mary's parents were not in the industry at all, and they did not want her to uh, become an actress or sing or dance. And she started out really being a dancer. So, also, after, you know, Bewitched and after the Mary Tyler Moore show, both Elizabeth and Mary did very different TV movies um, than they were known for. They did non-Samantha parts, non-Mary Richards parts, because they wanted to shock their audience and to show that, 
they could be really good actors. Now, you know, they say, oh, actors who do comedy, you know, any, uh, you know, they, they finally, when they do a drama, oh, they're finally showing their talent. Please. No, that's not true. As, a, as an <laughs> actor, the hardest thing to do is to make somebody laugh. Exactly. I know that. You know, I, I'm an actor myself. It takes an awful lot of talent to make you laugh. Anybody can make you cry. So it was really, you know, I, I found that very offensive when people would say that. You know, oh, Elizabeth did a case of rape and alleged Elizabeth Borden, which she loved doing, but now they were saying she was an actress. Well, she was always. She was the most charming, likable performer you could be on Bewitched, and Mary was adorable as um, Laura Petra in the Dick Van Dyke show, and she changed the face of television with the Mary Tyler Moore show. Mm -hmm. That's true. Oh, I think both of them were amazing actors. They just were... Actually, the three shows that were very important to me as a young girl were Bewitched, That Girl, and The Mary Tyler Moore Show. Hmm. All intelligent women, all independent women, and all trying to do something with their lives that wasn't following in what whoever wanted them to do what they were supposed to do. Um, wow. I think that's why. I don't know. I mean, that that's what... No, I, I, <laughs> I love that. I love that you think um, and that you perceived Elizabeth Samantha as independent because she was. Mm -hmm. She Everybody says, oh, this is a subservient role. It was her choice that's right. to live that mortal life and to be a housewife or a home engineer. She She could have had anything or anybody she wanted. She didn't care. She loved Darren for who he was and not for what he could buy her or do for her. So she could have left him at any point. She was independent, and she had all this power. And Marlo Thomas, oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. Love Marlo Thomas and Ted Bessel. Uh, were they what? adorable? Just perfect. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And, by the way, I, I profile all 60s females, 50s, 60s and 70s female TV stars in my Glamour Gidgets and the Girl Next Door book, which is also available on Amazon. <laughs> you know the scene in the first That Girl when she goes into her apartment and she's in the chair and she's like going around her apartment all excited because it's all her own? <laughs> yeah. I did the same thing when I got finally got, I had roommates, but when I finally had my own apartment on my own, I did almost exactly the same thing she did. I don't, at first I was, didn't realize it, and then after a minute I go, I'm doing Anne-Marie. <laughs> well, that's really, really funny, because when, you know, I, t I told you I grew up in the inner city. Well, at one point, when I was like 17 years old, my family, we moved to the suburbs in a beautiful townhouse. Um, and my sister and I ran around up and down the town. It was a three-level townhouse. And we ran, finally got a piece <laughs> Just hilarious. Yeah, the, the, theme, the theme from the Jeffersons. So it's very interesting. Yeah, I just, I, um, yeah, I, I wanted to be Anne-Marie because I wanted to be an actress. <laughs> I wanted to live in New York. And I wanted to don. Donald Holland. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get any. Well, I got the acting, but I didn't get. I didn't get to live in New York, and I didn't get a Don Holland. <laughs> <laughs> well, Don um, Ted Bessel, who I had talked with very briefly, he was at one point he was going to direct 
the Bewitched feature film. And Penny Marshall was the producer on that. And I talked with him on a Friday. He says, Herbie, call me on Monday. We'll, we'll move forward because I was going to work on the movie uh, as a consultant. And I called him Monday, and I um, got his secretary, and she was very upset. And I'm like, well, Mr. Mr. Bessel said that I'm supposed to call Mr. Plato. And I kept on talking and talking, and she finally said, Mr. Plato, Mr. Bessel has passed away. I was so shocked. And it was just heartbreaking. Because he was also going to do a movie, and Marlowe had agreed to do a movie on that girl. Oh. That woman. I didn't know that. Yeah, they were going to do it. I mean, it was just heartbreaking when he died. And so sudden. It was horrible. It was just horrible. So he was a really, talk about down to earth. And he really was also Mary's boyfriend in the Mary Tyler Moore show. He did. He and, we, and that was to me that was an odd choice. I'm like, now why did he do that? You know, because that is um, to me it, it pigeonholed him some more. I thought I would think that he would have tried to do something different. And it was very hard to watch that. I liked it, but at the same time I'm like, no, you're Anne Marie's boyfriend. You're cheating on Anne Marie. <laughs> and. And the whole thing, too, is, you know, originally Mary Richards was supposed to be divorced. Mm-hmm. That was the original concept. Mm-hmm. And the test audiences were like, no, you can't have Mary Richard, or you can't have Mary Taylor Moore divorced because everybody's going to think she divorced Dick Van Dyke. Mm-hmm. And you can't have that. So people, you know, clearly I, I was one of those people who confused the, the characters with the the actress and, and the, the performers and they were so identified that in those years with the people they played so, so in, there you go in my opinion I thought that Ted's character in Mary was really really different than Don yeah well, he was absolutely he was because it was a different time too um, but but yeah, they were very different. But still, I was like, "What? Wait a minute, Ted Bessel? now. So, and I, how many episodes did he do? He did like a couple, right? About well, one, two, three. I think four. Oh, cool. Okay, yeah, yeah. It was very. And you know, Mary always gave credit to Marlo Thomas for paving the way for the Mary Tyler Moore show. Mm-hmm. You know, there would have been no Mary Tyler Moore show had it not been for that girl, who was really one of the first independent female t- uh, TV characters after Ann Southern yeah. who, who played a, you know and, and Sally Rogers played by Rosemary on the Dick Van Dyke show um, but yeah she was really and 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 Anne Marie paved the way for for Mary now Anne Marie and Mary Richards always looked beautiful and perfect and perfect <laughs> so they weren't they really didn't struggle in their lives um but it was um, definitely the first independent female characters. Well, actually, uh, I think it's sort of how I started to accept that people in TV were different than real li- real life people. Was um, was Anne was because she was wearing these incredibly gorgeous clothes, had a fantastic apartment in New York City. And I was older when I moved. I, I, I was born and raised in California. We moved back east when I was like a preteen. So I was about 12 when we moved to New Jersey. And I started 
hearing from my dad because he, he actually at first looked in New York and couldn't afford it. So he lived in New Jersey. And um, as I was like putting one and one to add to two, I said, wait a minute, how did she afford that apartment and those clothes? And all of the, and I mean, it took years later for me to think, and then I realized, oh, it's a TV show. It's fiction. They can do whatever they want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was, it was, that girl was a fantasy, too. I mean, it, there was no magic involved, but it was a fantasy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, the girl couldn't hold on a job. <laughs> And she drove down crazy, you know. <laughs> he was so straight laced, and 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 yet they stayed together. Yeah, all the way to the end. Got married. Well, didn't get married, but they got yeah. engaged and they fantasized married. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's right. Oh, you know the show well. Yes. Oh yeah. Those, these are all. I'm telling you, you focused on shows that were my shows that I focused on as a child. I never forgot them. I still watch them. Especially, like, right this year, because everything's so stressful. I've been watching a lot of repeats of That Girl, Mary Tyler Moore Show, Bewitched. They're like, I, I need a half hour of happy, so I put them on. <laughs> exactly. You know, and they're, they're, they're like being with old friends. And so much of new TV is just, just, just horrible. I'm sorry. There's a lot of talent out there behind and in front of the camera, but, and I say this all the time in mostly every interview I do, but I can't understand anybody. Everybody mumbles. I can't see anybody. It's all darkly lit. I can't hear anybody. All the characters are the same. They're all sardonic, sarcastic. Everybody rolls their eyes. Everybody's beautiful. Everybody's perfect. There's no, in, there's no imperfect characters. So, I mean... And they're all miserable. Mm -hmm. Everybody, everybody's miserable. Nobody's charming. Nobody's likable. I you know, so. I think since two thousand, and and this is honest, I've watched the comps every year. The new lineup, and I haven't. I'm sorry. I love the actors, and I mean, I love some of the actors in these comps. They were the reason I turned them on. But. I just didn't like the sick. It's like they've forgotten how to do it. <sighs> well, because they, they're caricatures. You know, I mean, everybody is so concerned about getting a laugh, you know, on these sitcoms. It's like the, the actors are doing stand-up comedy. They're not even connecting with each other. They're not having relationships with the other. Everybody just goes and says, joke, 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 joke. There's no, to me, Frasier was the last great sitcom. It was beautifully written, beautifully directed. The sets were beautiful. The actors were the best. And there were stories. I, I think Murphy for me. I think Murphy Brown for me. Murphy Brown, she was okay, but she was mean. She was, and but she was funny. And but and she, there was a cute side too. She was sweet. There was a, she she had a pillow under there. What's that? She had like a pillow, the sweet part. She, she oh, just yeah. there, there was a soft part inside of yeah, her, and I it came out I quite guess. often. Yeah. But it was uh, yeah, she was sarcastic, and yeah, she did get she didn't take uh, prisoners. I mean, she she did take prisoners, but 
But I really enjoyed it, and I and I laughed. It was funny, and there was a sweetness in the family group, and the way she basically adopted the the poor man who passed away, the artist um, Robert. Yeah, yeah. Um, Erwin, Alvin, Alvin. Yeah, Eldon, Eldon. Eldon, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and the way she adopted him into her, not only to continually paint her home, but basically he was like her brother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was a heart there, and 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 even though there was like, Corky was the representative of everything she didn't like. As time within the first season, she ended up she's like her kid sister. She took her under her wing. I mean. And Corky did you, changed. Did you like the reboot? Did you watch the reboot? I, I actually was very disappointed. Yeah. Why? I don't know. It just, it. I love every single person in that show. So please don't misunderstand this. I just, it just didn't have that appeal of the original. I mean, I mean, Candace was brilliant as she always is. But it's just I I don't know I just it didn't I the other thing that disappointed me was um uh in the other reboot um what's the name of it Deborah Met Sing oh Will and Grace uh, Will and Grace I was very disappointed by that reboot too oh I didn't see it I I'm not a fan of the original show why why were you disappointed I just didn't think it was funny. Well, there you go. Okay. <laughs> I said, sure "Gotta be funny." That's for sure. Um, I at least I thought the candy, um, the candy, the Murphy Brown show was funny. There were a lot of funny parts of it, and I enjoyed uh, that aspect of it. And I love seeing them up on. I love watching them. You know, getting to see them. But um, there was, and as much as I liked the actors in Will and Grace, I did not. I just didn't find it funny. Not. At all. There's nothing funny in it. Hmm. And that's why you put on the sitcom. Exactly. Well, you know, they were going to do a reboot of Frasier, and, which I was kind of looking forward to, it, but then um, David Pierce, what's his name, David Hyde Pierce, um, said he nixed the idea. He said, I don't think we can do this. First of all, the father's gone. Mm -hmm. And he was very important. And he was in a very important part of that show. So now, I think, from what I understand, they're not going to do a, a reboot with the same actors. They're going to do a remake with all new actors in I the same role. I'm not that big a fan of that either. <laughs> so I don't know about that either, exactly. So, you know, some things are, should just be left alone, and yet at the same time, there's only so many stories. Yeah, I liken it to the, the Seven Dwarfs. There's sleepy stories, funny stories, sneezing <laughs> stories, sad stories. <laughs> Um, but that's it. And, and Shakespeare, you know, he laid out the, the main, there's only so many different stories. So it's not like you can't go back and redo something. I have no issue with that, but you got to do it right. Well, I mean, it's like, okay, this is totally off what we're talking about, but it's, it, it, it's what you're saying. Battlestar Galactica, the original series, was okay. Battlestar Galactica, the reboot, was amazing. <laughs> now, why why was it? Because I did not see that new that, that new version. Why was it amazing? Why the caliber of the writing, the caliber of the actors? It was just why. What was so great about the writing? It was 
intoxicating. It was well done. It was... I didn't think I was going to get hooked, really, because I, I, I enjoyed the first show. It was like, it was a fun fantasy. I enjoyed it. But it just, it was well, sort of like a mystery science fiction... It was a, it wasn't just science fiction fantasy. It was, there was a mystery in there. There was um So what you're saying is it was uh, continued every week with the same storylines? It was there was an arc. Yeah, see I don't like that. But I the like, arc was I like I like shows that have a beginning, middle and end every episode where and they end it. I like shows what happened I think in science fiction in back in the day, the original Star Trek, the A story was everybody going to a planet and meeting these new, this new civilization. The B story was what happens with the, the characters as they do that. When Star Trek The Next Generation came along, that switched. The A story became the character story, and the B story, if they ever went anywhere, was you know going to a different planet. But... They, they became bottle shows, which is meant that all the action took, care, took place on the Enterprise. So I have issues with that. I think you'd oh. like the Orville. Oh, I love that. I have seen that. I, I love that. I think, because that's like the old Star Trek. I think you can tell that he really admires yeah. and loves Gene Roddenberry and his whole concept, because that is really what the And he said it. It's his own version of well, his... He tried to... He tried to buy or get the rights to do Star Trek recently because, you know, I'm not a fan of Star Trek Discovery or Picard, which is horrible. The dialogue is horrible. The writing is horrible. The, the acting is horrible. And I just can't believe how bad those, those shows are because the people who do it, you know, they wanted to create their own universe. It, well, if you're going to create your own universe, then don't do Star Trek. If you're going to do Star Trek, then do Star Trek. Where's the imagination? Where's the charm? Where's the colors? The, 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 the new civilizations that are, are full of wonder. Where is that? I mean, I don't see that in the new shows. I don't see that in any of the new science fiction shows. Everything, again, dark, dingy, depressing. Who, the, who wants to watch that? That's why I like the Orville. Exactly. Uh, the Orville, so bright, brightly lit and happy. It's a little dicey and edgy regarding the humor, but that's, you know, that's what's his name? Um, who's the guy that starred in that show? I just blanked out now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I wish. Oh, uh, what's his name? Oh. I actually follow him on Instagram, and I can't think of his name. That's really sad and pathetic. He's really, really talented. He is. That's Sean. Well, well we can't think of his name. Yeah, but sorry. Anyway. We love you, so, even though we can't think of your name. We do love you, yes. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so getting back to Mary Tellemore. Sorry. And, and sorry, sorry. Got off on track. Um, <laughs> I loved both of them. They were terrific, and I tried to write as honestly as I could about them. Um, I, I knew Elizabeth. I did not know Mary. Um, so it was harder for me to be objective with Elizabeth. With Mary, the Mary Tyler Moore story, which, by the way, the 50th this is the 50th anniversary of that show, 
And it's also coming up the 50th anniversary of the first Christmas episode that they did on that show, Aww. which was kind of a sequel to an episode that they did on, on That Girl, believe it or not. It was written by James L. Brooks on, in both shows. Which um, one? You know what? I knew you were going to say that. And I can't think of the title. But it was where Mary is stuck in the office. And they actually, whatever it is, they oh. actually... I know which one it is for that girl. It's the one where she's she's going back in time and it's telling Don the story of uh, she was a teacher and she was uh, yeah. is with the, the little boy. With the little boy and they're yeah. stuck in the school and she's yeah. trying to make the little boy happy. Yes, yeah. and he's a little Jewish boy. And, and it's oh no, the next her neighbor was Jewish. So it was, it was nice because they, it was one of the first Christmas episodes in TV, really, that talked about Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah that, was so, that was so cute because uh, when, when he comes back, the little boy comes back, and she goes, so did he, they have a big Christmas tree? No, they're Jewish. They don't have a Christmas tree. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, I said that a thousand times when yeah. I even turned my yeah. parents, and I said that to I say that to the people at school all the time. I was so happy to hear them say that. Yeah, I gave everybody like you, those like you, uh, uh, someone to identify with. So it was, it was wonderful. So anyway, James L. Brooks wrote that episode, and then he wrote this episode of Mary Tyler Moore, and he, he called it, whatever that title was of the Dad Girl episode, he called it part two <laughs> in Mary Tyler Moore, even though it really had nothing to do with it, really. That uh, was, was that the one where she was stuck at the studio and yeah. and, and yeah. Uh, the boys came to celebrate with her and she heard the noise and she got scared? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, just a tremendously uh, important series and, and, you know, did so much for women's liberation. Mm -hmm. She didn't set out to say, oh, now I'm going to write, I'm, we're going to do a show about women's liberation. No. It just happened. It happened at the right time. You know, but she, she went on to inspire so many people, including yourself, as well as Oprah Winfrey, Katie Couric, to be in, in journalism, uh, and just any uh, woman to be an independent um, career girl, yeah. career woman. Yeah, I, I can't think of anybody my age at that time who didn't want to be like Mary. She was, mm -hmm. People would break dates to go and, and watch Mary Tyler Moore show. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yep. Yep. I actually made my dates after the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really when things start swinging anyway at 9.30. So. Yeah, so I was just like, uh, I was I was a teenager, so, you know, I would say, could we go to the later movie? Because, you know, <laughs> I got to see Mary. <laughs> I know they all thought I was weird, but I couldn't care less. <laughs> hey. You were happy, so this, that's all that matters. Yeah. Well, I saw Mary. I saw the show. <laughs> um, so, when, uh, the book is out. Is that correct? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And it's really, you know, you can certainly buy, anyone who wants to buy a, a personally signed copy, sure, you can do that through my website, com. But the hardcover of Mary on Amazon is really inexpensive now. It's only nineteen ninety five, and I would charge a lot more for personal copies from me. 
So I would, if you're, if you'd love, if you'd love to see the book, and if you love the Mary Tyler Moore show, and by the way, it's not just about the show. This is about her entire life and career, before, during, and after the Mary Tyler Moore show. Mary the book was is Mary the Mary Tyler Moore story, and I wanted to write it because there had not really been um, an in-depth biography about her. She did her own memoirs, uh, but the last ten years of her life was not covered. And the last biographies written about her, objectively, were like from the 70s and 80s. So it was time to write in a complete in-depth biography that cut, covered her entire life from the minute she was born to the day she passed away. And that's what I did. Mary was much more complex than any character she ever played. Oh, gosh. So true. And very, very complex person. You know, people would come up to her on the street and say, Oh, I love Mary Richards. And... I wish I could be like her, and Mary would say, yes, so do I. It sort of reminds me of Cary Grant. Cary Grant used to say that, too. I love you. I love Cary. I love you. And he goes, uh, there's no one like Cary Grant. And he goes, yeah, I know. I, I think so, too. There's no one like Cary Grant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he did say similar things like that. Yeah. So. Um, but, yeah, just, they have these personas that they've, build through all the characters that they played and people just think that it, it still happens today um, I interview people that are newer actors I, um, sort of mid midlife actors and stuff like that and they're not like their characters these are characters that people even call them by their ca character names and not the actor names and I think it's really important to people like yourself who bring people like Elizabeth Montgomery and Mary Tyler Moore and all those wonderful women of the 60s to life because, well, not to life, but to, to, so you can see the real person because yeah. you, um, so many people mix them up with their characters. Yeah, and that was hard. It's a very good point, Sherry, but that was hard because, um, you know, there's a lot of fans out there who don't want to hear negative things about Elizabeth Montgomery or, or Mary Tyler Moore. And it's you, there's ways to tell a story. My books are not salacious. All right, I don't set out to be controversial. But both Mary and Elizabeth were very complicated people, mm -hmm. and I would not be doing my job if I did not really talk about the complexities of who they were. But I do so, at least I, I hope I've done so, with respect and dignity, you know, um, to talk and to and to say that these people were not perfect. None of us are perfect. Exactly. We all have flaws, and, and just the fact that they're not perfect really makes them human, and it doesn't mean they're evil if they no. don't. Be, you know? I, I think one of the things that there's this finesse and finish that famous people have, and when you watch stuff like Biography, which isn't on anymore, but when I was uh, in my 20s and 30s, I used to watch Biography and realize, oh, they failed. They messed up. They weren't perfect. And it made me feel better because I could not live up to these characters that they played. Uh, not even a little bit. Right. And when you start realizing human beings are human, uh, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody messes up. Everybody has real uh, personal problems with family and, and boyfriends or girlfriends or whatever. Then you realize, Oh, okay. So it's okay that I'm not perfect. Right. 
because unfortunately there's this perfect mentality out there that people that's there's still it's even stronger now than it was when I was young. So it's yes. very important what you do. Thank you. Thank you. Um so are you going to be doing any <laughs> we kind of dissed it but are you going to be doing any uh per, uh virtual events? Um um, not at the moment, actually. I'm, I'm in the midst of uh, writing a few different books. I'm not allowed to say which right now, but I'm so busy with writing. I have a couple new books that will be coming out, and I'll be making announcements soon about those. Um, but right now, um, you know, I have my show, of course. Uh, then again, with Herbie J. Plowder, the first season, um, which is on Amazon Prime. Very proud of that, and Amazon Prime UK. If you haven't seen that, I invite you to go watch it on Amazon Prime and please write a review for it if you could. Um, it's a, you know, I've interviewed Ed Asner, the stars of Dark Shadows, uh, Robert Conrad in his last interview, really, on oh. TV. Um, did a tribute to Gary Marshall with Cindy Williams and Eddie Mecca, Marion Ross. Um, did an episode on with Burt Ward and did another episode on my three sons with Barry and Stanley Livingston. So then again with Herbie J. Plato on Amazon Prime. Check it out. Cool. And could you uh, uh, give your website so people can find you? Sure. HerbieJPilato.com. It's H-E-R-B-I-E-J-P as in Paul, I-L-A-T-O.com. I'm all over Facebook, all over Twitter, all over Instagram all over LinkedIn, so you can find me really anywhere. And also I have uh, blogs and writings on medium.com. Great. Um, thank you, Herbie, for um, giving me a little time of your busy day. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Sherry, for inviting me. I love your voice, Sherry. You've got the sweetest voice ever. Thank you. And you have a happy holidays. And everybody listening, Merry Christmas, Happy Holiday. And uh, any way you celebrate, bring love wherever you can. Absolutely. And thank you for chatting with Sherry. Uh -huh.